As the Formula One season shifts into gear, this week we're revisiting my chat with 2016 champ Nico Rosberg. 2021 is the fifth year without Rosberg behind the wheel. The driver has been spending his time investing in eco-entrepreneurs and bringing awareness to climate change. We traveled to Monaco in 2017 to sit down with Rosberg for his first extensive interview after retirement. He explains his shocking decision to call it quits at only 31 years old and at the height of his career. Just came to me. Wow, that would feel right. That would feel awesome. Opens up about teammate Lewis Hamilton's controversial move during their final race together. Could you see yourself even handling it similarly? Well, it was not right what he did. And offers his hopes for the future of their friendship. I'm open to finding our way, you know, and even having a, a good relationship again in the future. Why not? Plus, hear from Hamilton himself, as well as the late Nicky Lauda, who was a Mercedes team executive at the time of Rossberg's retirement. I think he retired, really because the pressure of Lewis was too hard for him to cope with in the future. And actually, one side note, our time in Monaco with Rosberg led to our future taping over two days in Monaco with Prince Albert. I had been following up with the Prince's team for months without success, and at the last minute on the flight in for the Rosberg taping, I'm told the Prince will see you at this date and time. We end up spending an hour together, and that led to our two-day taping with Prince Albert in Monaco. So check that one out as well on podcast or YouTube if you hadn't had a chance yet. Without further ado, here's Nico. I wanted to start by talking about just the Mercedes team and its recent dominance. What do you think most accounts for that? Uh, it's very comparable to the business world. Take uh, an Apple, yeah, uh, for example. It just has the biggest group of competent people who have been managed by great leaders in the best way possible, who work together well, well with, of course, big budget and, and all that. And it just makes the Mercedes team the best team in F1. Um, and it's really, really impressive also to see it from the inside, you know, how it all works and everything. It's extremely high-level stuff. What was that like for you and the changes you noticed in teams going from Williams to Mercedes? Yeah, it's it's a big change um, because Williams, especially the resources, you know, I just didn't have the resources necessary uh, to really be the best at the time, which is a long time ago. And you always had to make compromises, you know, we can't do everything, we need to choose uh, which development is the most important. And at Mercedes, it's just really, you know, everything can be done. There's never a no. Uh, for every little hundredth, every little really, yeah, yeah there's no, uh, there's no limits, and then that's the big difference. Just a massive drive, but also, um, well, the amount of competent people, uh, as I, as I said, um, it's just a massive push. Yeah, it's unbelievable. How dependent is a driver on his team's technology and equipment? Yeah, so our sport is uh, is quite unique in that sense. Uh, I mean, the tennis player, he just depends on his daily form, um, whereas with us. We really depend on our machine as well. Um, without a good machine, we're seeing it with uh, Alonso, for example, who's one of the best drivers out there. And for the last 10 years, he struggled to be in the top 10 because his, his car is just uh, uh, not good. Um, so we really depend on our car. Um, and then the driver is important as well, but it's really uh, both things come together. How tough is it to be in a situation years ago where every time you leave the garage, you know your car is just not strong enough to win. Yeah, it's difficult because coming through, 
everybody always has the same car when you're young. Right. And, and I won all those different categories except one of them, but uh, most of them I, I won all of those. And that got me to F1. And then you get to F1 and suddenly you just can't win because you don't have the good car to win. Well, for most people, uh, when you start off. Um, and that's difficult to come to grips with, yeah. To accept, okay, I'm not going to be able to win. Uh, I just need to do the best I can with the car that I have and then be patient and one day I will get the best car and I will be able to win. Take some adjusting. In uh, 2003, you had a reasonably big crash, uh, you know, in Formula 3. To yeah. what extent are you ever afraid when driving? Um, yeah, fear is, uh, plays a part uh, sometimes. It doesn't slow me down. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely there because there are some, especially on some tracks, there's just some corners where you really think, you know, if something goes wrong now and you, you go off, it's really going to be painful. Um, so there, you, there's a bit of fear. And you'll think about that while driving? That'll go through your mind? You could get flashes of those uh, thoughts, yeah, but very rarely. Uh, it's more before you get in the car. You said before you're risk averse. How so? Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not the guy who needs to, um, you know, put his life on the line all the time, uh, different things. So um, for me, uh, that's not where the passion uh, is for me. For me, the passion really comes from the, the, the fighting, the battles, driving this, this high-tech machine on the edge um, and trying to be the best uh, out there. You know, that's really uh, where, where my passion is. When you're racing in the car in a Grand Prix, what are you seeing? What do I see? Uh -huh. um, well, one of our strengths is that we're, we're very, very quick at taking stuff in because uh, we need to react so quickly. You know, we're going at 200 mile an hour um, through the, the street of Monaco and there's just so much coming at you and you need to process really quickly. So I think that's one of our skills. Um, yeah, and you can't really, you don't have one single split second to think about something else then you'll crash. So it's absolute uh, focus. You said the, the, you have to be laser focused and concentrating all yeah. the time. What are you thinking about? Well, I have so much input coming that I'm just thinking about all these things that are going on. The, the, the breaking point, the this, the that. But I also have to have capacity left to uh, remember what happened in each corner on the previous lap to be able to do each and every corner better on the following lap. Always going through that process because it's never the same. Every lap is different. And how does the ability to process that um, improve over time? That's a big difference for me. When I was young, I didn't have much capacity left because I used all my capacity for driving the car fast. Mm -hmm. But then with experience, now especially in my last year, the driving the car fast was much, used much less capacity. Um, and then I had much more left to do other, to think of other stuff, how I can best set up my car, remember what went wrong on the previous lap and do that better the next lap. And also, if you look at our steering wheel, it's like a spaceship control pad. Right. It's just unbelievable. So many switches. And you can use all of those switches um, to your benefit on the track because you can really transform the car with them. And you can all, even do settings for individual corners. Um, and again, that's where the experience really comes in to, to nail that. What made you want to become a race car driver in the first place? It's watching my dad. So uh, my dad was Formula One world champion himself right. in 1982. Um, and that's, that's really something that um, I'm very, very proud of and is very special. Um, that, I've, that we've been able to achieve the same thing, both of us. And in a second, I'll bring in the, the trophy from the world championship. 
you know, when we both have our name on there and there's only 30 something other people on there, two of those are, are, are us, you know, and um, so that's just uh, an amazing, uh, amazing story to share, really. I think you were sitting around the Christmas table uh, yeah. this past Christmas and what does your mom say? Yeah, well, it's my mom, my dad and I and my mom suddenly stops eating and she's like, I'm actually sitting here with two Formula One world champions. <laughs> and it's just a funny moment then. That's pretty cool though. Yeah, definitely. I think it was uh, to mark your dad's final competition. You're on the roof with him. I think you're 10 years old, uh, taking an honorary lap around. And, and you were quoted somewhere as saying it was that moment that you knew one day you were going to be a professional and successful race car driver. What about that made you have that realization then? So it was the farewell race for my dad mm -hmm. and 100,000 people on the, on the grandstands, everybody cheering for him and we were both doing an honorary lap to say, to wave goodbye. And, uh, and then the whole race weekend as such, you know, just the emotions that are involved in racing and the, uh, the fans, uh, the battles with the cars, the machinery, you know, um, and this man against man, uh, is, you know, you've you got to be warriors out there in a, in a race car to, to win. And um, it's just fascinating. And so that's where I really started to think, wow, um, this is what I would like to do myself. In your early school years, you were apparently treated somewhat badly by classmates. Yeah. Um, in what ways? Uh, just uh, as it is for, for a lot of people in school. So I was bullied and uh, was sometimes a, a difficult time. Like, what would they do? Um, well, in, in class, for example, shoot, uh, shoot chewing gum through the um, straws yeah, yeah. <laughs> into, into my hair and things like that. And, uh, um, Which might and be funny then, now, but wasn't And then, then. spitting and, and, you know, and pinning me down and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, sometimes difficult times at school, yeah. How did you handle it then? Um, I just have to just have to stick with it, you know, because in the end, every time you try and get help from grown-ups or something like that, it doesn't work. Um, you just need to find your way yourself and uh, stand up for it and figure it out. And uh, but of course, you know, do speak about it because um, if you just hold everything inside, which I made that mistake as well, um, then it then it's difficult. So, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't as wise to really open up about it, so I really kept it kept it inside. Um, and that made it more difficult for sure. But then it was just time. Time uh, went got through it and actually then um, nowadays those guys that were bullying are some of my best friends. Oh, are they? Yeah. Um, okay. So what, what changed things? Just growing up, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's through those teenager years um, where some people go a bit nuts, I think, and, and then with time realize mm, that's, not, that's not right. And then, uh, and I'm, I'm not someone who, I won't uh, harbor, um, what do you, how do you call it when you harbor? Uh, ill will. Ill will or, for right. a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm someone I'm, I'm really able to, uh, to forgive. Um, that's not a problem. And then so, yeah, now we're good friends. I think at, at one point you were considering going to college. If you went to college, would have likely studied aerodynamics, but instead you continue racing. Um, obviously, that worked out well for you, but um, how difficult for you was it at the time when you make the decision to continue racing, yet all your friends who you grew up with are leaving to go elsewhere to school? 
I did school very normally with them, even though I missed a half a week from every week Yeah, <laughs> uh, because of uh, racing. You missed a half a week every week. Well, I think if you ask them, they will say, yeah, definitely. He right. was never at school. Yeah. Um, but I did do it normally, and I had to do the homework and the exams that they did, you know. So and I you still to, did. I okay. always had to catch up, and right. uh, no, I did really well. It was, it was, it was another um, challenge for me where I wanted to succeed. Uh, and then suddenly they all go to university. And I'm going a completely different direction. Right. It felt very strange at first. So I did feel that I would like to do both, university and racing. Um, but then I realized, no, that's not going to work. Right. No. I took a gap year. Okay. And in that gap year, I won everything in racing. Yeah. So I, you know, I knew, okay, this uh, racing is going to be going to be a success. So uh, just stick with that. Tell about the legendary uh, tennis matches you used to have with your dad. That yeah, not so inevitably good. would end with you crying, regardless <laughs> of if you won or lost. Yeah, I was very, very young, and uh, uh, I played a lot of tennis, so I was pretty good at it. And we had these epic battles uh, with my dad always on the on the tennis court. And I'm very, very competitive. And now I, I I can see it more and control myself a little bit better. But at the time, a bit extreme. And yeah, so there was always a bad ending. It didn't matter if if I lost, then uh, I was <laughs> I was unhappy because I lost, and if I won, I was unhappy because I thought he let me win. <laughs> So it's just a disaster. There was always a tough, always a bad ending. Uh, how competitive were the two of you with each other? Both the same, of course. Both both massively competitive. Yeah. I mean, that's where I have it from from my dad, uh, definitely. Because my mom, when we're playing golf, she doesn't actually care if the ball goes in or out or, or doesn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, right. So I definitely have the comp competitiveness from my dad. And still to this day, that way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But now I I see it more, and so. Uh, I can control it a bit better. How would you describe the differences in each of your personalities? My dad and I? Uh-huh. Very different. Very different in many ways, and then similar in other ways. My dad is much more uh, emotional and, and Latin in a way, um, and I'm more calm and more rational and more thinking about things and uh, taking more time to, to react. You said somewhere that your father, who was managing you at the time, there was kind of a blurred line between being a parent and, you know, being a professional partner. How yeah. difficult initially was it to navigate that? Yeah, that's such a big topic and so difficult for everybody, uh, everybody watching this as well. You know, how, how much do you support your, um, your child? And do you completely just let him get on with it? And if he gets, goes through phases of being totally lazy and, and therefore losing great opportunities for the future, do you just you know, uh, stand back and accept that? Or do you, you know, uh, give, him, give him support to get through that um, so that he can have the opportunity to achieve great things afterwards? Um, very difficult subject. I think I'm very thankful because feeling-wise, my dad uh, got it, nailed it perfectly. Um, so especially through the teenage years, he was really supportive, um, and even in a way uh, expecting me to do uh, to do really well. And I could feel that expectation from him that he uh, he expected his son to push and, and achieve something in life, um, and that really uh, was was a driving force in a way. Um, and then once I got uh, beyond my teenage years and I got to F1, he completely stepped back and, and let me get on with it. Um, not coming to the races anymore after we discussed that and agreed that that was the best way to do it. And, and so... Um, and what was the hardest part for you of making that decision where, you know, here's this guy who's not only your parent but your manager and just navigating that decision-making process of realizing, hey, I just want you to be my father and not the manager well, anymore. Well, the biggest issue is that he is the best manager in the world, in my, in my eyes. Mm -hmm. 
because uh, and he also managed Formula One world champion Mika Häkkinen. Right. And he so he knew he knows everything and he's the most competent guy. And suddenly I decided then that the best was not for me not to use that competence and just go it alone and and uh, manage myself and make my own deals and my own contracts and my own decisions which way to go. So it's yeah, I mean, um, not that easy obviously because I don't have his experience. Um, but I was confident that I could do a really good job and. Here I am today, so and what, well. what made you uh, decide to go in that direction at the time? I like to challenge myself also, and I really believe that um, we need to put a, put ourselves into difficult situations over and over because that's where we grow as a human being, and and I always do that in life that I really push myself even if it's very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, and this was the same thing. So I really uh, challenged myself and uh, decided, okay, I'm going to do it myself and make my own contracts, my own deals, and uh, works out well. I, I mentioned to you before the, the taping that we taped an episode with Lewis Hamilton, and he, you know, like you, was uh, managed by his father for a yeah. while. To what extent did each of you ever talk about with each other kind of the similar uh, similarities you went through on that front? Um, no, we didn't, we didn't talk about that so much. But of course, there, there are probably surely some similarities. It's a, very, very unique story that when we were 14 years old, uh, we were both racing for the same go-kart team for Mercedes-Benz McLaren at the time. And we we're best friends. And mm-hmm. we went on holiday to Greece, sat at dinner and said, oh, imagine if in 15 years time, we we're gonna be in the best Formula One team together, racing against each other for the championships. Um, and then 15 years later it happens, you know, and that's, that's quite uh, insane. How much do you think you both believed at that time that it would happen? I don't think you can believe that as a 14-year-old because you're in go-karting. Formula One is so far away and so huge. You know, you have the, the Michael Schumachers at the time dominating that world that it's not, of course, it's, it can be a dream, but to really believe that you're going to be there, I think difficult. Lewis told me in our taping that, I mean, it, the friendship with the teammates almost impossible. Um, what do you think led to the kind of friendship starting to fall apart? It's so much at stake. It's the World Championship in Formula One, which is our childhood dream. Um, and so it's just, it's nearly impossible. As long as one doesn't accept to be second and the other guy first, or you know, accept that one is better and the other is worse. Um, so as long as you're both wanting to beat the other guy and thinking that you're better than the other guy, and you can't really be friends because it's so intense. And especially if you're within the same team, um, it's such a complicated situation because the team, uh, we're driving both for the team, you know, to achieve great, uh, have great success for Mercedes. But at the same time, we have to think about ourselves and try and beat the other guy. And it's completely unusual for a team to have two number one drivers. Very, as very well, unusual right? in our sport. Yeah, it's happened a handful of times. Mm-hmm. In the, in the history of the sport, in the 75 years, that the two guys within the same team are battling each other so intensely for the World Championship year in, year out. Um, especially in a th- on a three-year run, that's never happened in the sport before. Back to Rosberg in a moment, but first let's hear from Lewis Hamilton and then the late Nicky Lauda, both of whom we've sat down with for their own episodes. Is it possible or even healthy to be as close to friends as you guys might have been back in the younger days with the intensity of a battle like we are having it's, it's impossible to have that relation you can't be friends yeah yeah win the world championship no problem buddy <laughs> that's not how it right. goes you know like you know what's gonna that winning the championship that's all that matters 
We had huge competition between the team, which in the end was sometimes too much. We are team players here. We are not. The team cannot destroy each other. This was the thing. And Toto came up with some good rules, and in the end, we had peace again. They fought hard, and the accidents got reduced between themselves. In what ways were they nasty to each other? They had no relation, which is always bad. So they were so bad that they didn't even say hello in the morning. When the relationship was at its worst or at its lowest point, what did the interaction between the two of you entail? There wasn't much. There wasn't? <laughs> um, no, because at times it was really difficult. Um, I mean, in Spain, uh, we took each other out mm -hmm. and from the lead, you know, both first and second, and uh, had a massive crash. Both went flying off the track. And wow, that's, that's some intense uh, times, and also internally, internally uh, discussing that, very difficult. When the two of you are sitting down together with the team, trying to resolve the issues, what's transpiring in the room in a situation like that? Well, they try and remind us that we're here for the good of the team. And uh, so we must put aside our ego thinking and remember that in everything we say, especially to the outside, to the media, we're here for the good of the team. You know? So that's really important. And, but the team really, um, they, they did a good job in the end with managing us because the most important thing is to remain neutral and, uh, as, and whenever possible not to take sides. And, and they managed to do that quite well. You know? and, uh, so in the end, um, we always came through such dif difficult moments and, uh, and more or less it, it worked out. You know? And the relationship was okay until the very end. How did you tell him you were going to retire? Yeah, it was important for me to tell him personally as well. Um, How did you do it? Because of the battles that we've had and everything. And uh, so, no, first of all, I just wrote a message before the, the actual announcement. And mm -hmm. then afterwards, we got together and had a chat about it and uh, just went through a few stuff. And, and it was a nice conversation. Uh, and I'm open to, to uh, finding, free, finding our way, you know, and even uh, having a, a good, um, good relationship again in the future. Why not? If you had not retired, um, what do you think the likelihood is you and Lewis could have coexisted long-term together as teammates? For sure, we, for sure we could have uh, coexisted, which we have shown for the last three right. years, that it, it works. It works really well, because we push each other to such a high level that every, we all benefit from it, uh, both of us drivers, uh, the team. So it works really well, uh, just that you have to accept that there's going to be some very difficult moments. I think it was 15 years old. You in uh, go-karting competed against a 32-year-old uh, Michael Schumacher. Um, the best part of that was what? It was a great experience. Great experience because, uh, especially with, uh, with Michael also, he's the most successful F1 driver of all time. And by some margin, I mean, what he achieved is insane. And to have him as my teammate for three years was, uh, was a great period, um, important period in my career. First of all, I was able to uh, learn a lot um, because the guy, it's obvious why he's seven-time world champion. The dedication, the passion, the, the attention to detail and everything is phenomenal. Tell about uh, him once beating you to the toilet and then also on another occasion you parking behind him. There's a lot of stuff going on, yeah. And, um, I mean, yeah, one, one example is uh, um, here at the Monaco Grand Prix, there's just, there's just one toilet right. <laughs> in, the, in the garage. There's no other way, to, there's no, you can't go anywhere else. Um, and, uh, and we always have to, we go 
to the toilet just before getting in the car um, because we're in the car for such a long time and you can't go in the car. Right. Uh, and so he got there first, so I was waiting outside. Um, and, uh, and he knew it was me outside, you know? Um, and so he just took his time forever, you know? He was probably standing there, just looking at the mirror, <laughs> watching his watch, leaving it to the last minute to get out so that he can just about get to the car, but he knows that I'm not gonna be able to uh, go to the bathroom anymore. And, uh, and of course, I'm getting more and more stressed outside because I'm like, geez, I'm gonna miss the start of the, gonna miss the, start of the session. Right. Um, and then I had to eventually uh, use a bucket for help. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's just small, small examples, you know, you know, of stuff that he, uh, he, he would do. And, uh, but I really learned to figure out my way um, so it wouldn't get to me in a sense. So that was also one of the learning uh, things. And, and then you're in uh, Abu Dhabi and I, I think that, you know, you each, uh, Park, have parking spaces next to each other, and first day, back he's, on that day he's a, a little bit in your spot, but you aren't a hundred percent sure that yeah, he was then, doing it intentionally. Then I, then I put the car behind his, right. so he was completely locked in, right. and I lost the keys by coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Right. So how did he handle that then? Um, it was a bit of a tense moment, but it was okay. Well, so I mean, are they like at the time? Are those moments where you guys are joking with each other, or like you guys are consciously no, trying pretty, to no, 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 get no, under? Well, depends. It's more, it, you can, uh, it's joking, but in an intense level, because you are as well trying to beat the other guy. What was your reaction when you learned he's retiring and then your childhood friend, Lewis Hamilton's going to become your teammate? I mean, f for sure, both were difficult situations for me because they were both world champions. Mm -hmm. And naturally the team will give more focus to the world champion than to someone who, who has uh, not achieved so much at the time yet, you know? And um, so each time it was, it was a challenge to stand my ground within the team and, and to get the necessary respect as well, which I need to achieve something. And, but both times it worked out well and, and I found my way and um, worked harder and, um, and really had the support also from the team. You know, I'm very, very thankful that they, they always gave me the necessary support and, uh, and we could grow together and, and then end up with winning the championship. Right, and it's so cool to talk about because obviously it ends with you yeah. winning the championship and having a lot of success, but how at that time do you stand your ground, uh, you know, to get what you want with uh, another world champion coming in? It's, it's just effort. It takes effort to, to really um, gel with the team, you know, and, uh, and grow your position within the team to get their respect. Um, and example is, you know, we had a, a strategy meeting then just before the race where both drivers need to be addressed because it's equally important for both of them to nail their races, to get to know what's going on with the strategy. And I would not be addressed at all. It would just be Michael, even though we're sitting next really? to each other right in front. Because the guy for Michael was a god for the guy. So he completely forgot that I was sitting there and just spoke to Michael. Um, and then I would tell him that, that it's, uh, it's really, um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for me and uh, I would expect from you to give us both the same amount of attention. And, and that worked out then, perfect. So then next time around, he, uh, that stuck in his mind and, and then he did give us both the attention and that's just one example of how you, how you really try and, uh, try and progress there. I, I want to take you back to a moment that kind of was, seemed like it was the starting point for what was an amazing run that you had 
culminating in the championship win, and that's uh, 2015, the U.S. Grand Prix. Uh, you know, after the race, you're sitting slumped in a chair as Lewis is putting on a red hat with a number one embroidered on it. What are you thinking at that point? One of the regrets I have is that I was never able to win the U.S. Grand Prix. Um, really? It's one of the very few races that I wasn't able to win. So, but there we go, can't have everything. And yes, that was one of the most difficult moments also in my career then, because um, I gave Lewis the championship whilst being in the lead and I made a mistake. And then he got the championship and, and won it. And that was, it's tough. I mean, um, defeats in sport are always very difficult to cope with for us because we put our whole life behind the sport, you know? And, and then when you, when you lose, it's, uh, it's very, very, it's dark, you know, dark moments. And, um, and that was especially difficult. And, and I, but I'm, I'm proud that I managed to push through and always um, come out with even greater motivation. So it actually, it was actually a, a, a fuel for me. Um, right. Rather than pulling me down and holding me down, I've, I was always able to come out even stronger with more motivation. And that's what happened again in, in, uh, in the US. And it's a big part of why I'm sitting here now as a world champion. That, um, I, I found motivation that I didn't even know existed for me um, to even go new ways and, and just put everything behind it and push in a massive way. I mean, what seemed to come from the loss there is just this terror of success that you go on. You win the final three races of the season and then the first four races of the next season. What do you think was responsible for that? Um, well, it's not... Uh, yeah, it's it's really uh, fighting spirit in the end, you know, to to not want to experience a loss like that ever again. So just uh, really, really pushing and um, and putting it all together and a max, massive focus. That was the driving force. You said, "quote I got more aggressive because too often in the past he, being Lewis, had walked all over me." What do you think you did differently? He's just very, very skillful, you know, he's uh, and, uh, in, in so many areas and especially also in this one-on-one -on -one battle. Um, he, would, he would really manage to go to the limit very well without ever going over. Um, so he would always take it to a very extreme, but never in a way that you could blame him, you know, and he would just do that very well. Um, and, and I would lose many races as a result and so I just had to uh, ramp up my level of aggressiveness um, and and it worked out. Because, uh, and how did you do that? It's, really the, it's just a decision, a decision that I have to be more aggressive and um, but also studying past events. So I would look over and over and all the different events we've had in the past and learn from them and make sure I'm not ever doing the same mistake again. And if I do, then I, I know what to do. If I am in the same situation, I know what to do better. And that really worked out well. I think you were spending uh, 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening uh, meditating in addition to, I believe, something like five months off social media, getting extra practice in go-karting. How did you find all of that helped in the championship season? I looked for new ways, new ways to become even better. And, um, and there was different things. Uh, one of the things was to work very closely with a mental trainer. Um, and uh, to explore the, the ways of, uh, I don't like the word meditation because people will think it's this, uh, um, you know, uh, transcendent or whatever, and it's not. It's really a, a training your concentration okay. and training your awareness. 
So that's what I did every morning and every evening. Um, and it, um, it, it, it just, it's all these little things, you know, that, that massively help in the end. And because the difference between success and defeat in sport can be minute. And let me give you the best example. In the summer, because uh, our driver weight is crucial, um, because on a race car, you know, we're part of that. And, and if you can be lighter, you're going to go faster. Right. And there have uh, been times where you've already been very oh yeah, thin and the, the team asks you to yeah, drop 5% yeah, of your and weight. So in summer, right. I realized, okay, I've got all this extra leg muscle from cycling. I need to get rid of that as well. So I stopped cycling. And then after the summer break, I was on pole position in Japan by one hundredth of a second. One hundredth of a second is like 10 centimeters uh, over the course of one lap difference. And uh, one kilo of the leg muscles is three hundredths of a second per lap um, where I'm going to be going quicker. And I was on pole by one hundredth of a second. So that's what uh, gave me pole position. Having pole gives you the race win then with all likely likeliness. And the race win gave me the championship, you know, so one could uh, go all the way into those details. So it all comes down, it all came down to the final race of the 2016 season, uh, Abu Dhabi. At the end of that race, either you or Lewis would be the Formula One champion. What are you thinking going into that race? Oh, it was tough. I mean, I had the, the whole world of pressure on my shoulders because it was mine to lose in the end. Uh, I was ahead on points and all I had to do was finish second or third. So it's, you know, um, made it very difficult. I mean, it's my childhood dream and it's so close. How afraid of losing were you? Um, well, because I know what defeat felt like in previous years. And this, if I would have lost this one, it would have been even worse. Cause Why? Because it's so close and because I'm ahead. It's, you know, I'm ahead until just before the very end and I've been ahead all season. And so it's so real and so tangible and so close. Um, to, so to then lose it, it's like Hillary Clinton. But I, I don't want to compare myself <laughs> right. to Hillary Clinton, but the situation is similar. Right. She's ahead all the way through. Right. And she's the sure winner, and even herself, she thinks she's the sure winner. Just as, as I did in a way, because um, for me, it must be possible with my car to finish at least third. Should be doable, definitely, uh, because I have the best car. Did, and did that scare you at all, that you were thinking you were the sure winner? Well, yeah, that's what makes it more okay. difficult, because okay. it just would make the loss hurt even more, because it's so, you know, you're so close. And so uh, I can really uh, relate to, uh, to Hillary as well. Uh, what a horrible loss that was uh, <laughs> for her personally also, you know, so tough. My God, really, unbelievable. I mean, really. Um, Oh, you don't you don't wish that on on anybody, um, and then especially to a candidate like Donald Trump, of course, uh, makes it even worse for him. I'd ask for your opinion on President no, Trump. No, no, let's avoid that. Let's avoid that. Move one. on to the next question. Did you have any dialogue with Lewis on that race day, Abu Dhabi? Uh, no, we didn't. No, None. There was not much to speak about. It was just everything was on the edge. And your driver rooms are basically right next to each other, right? Uh, yeah, right next to each other. And so what happens when you see each other? Just walk past. <laughs> no nothing. acknowledgement? No, 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 nothing, nothing. Um, why do you think that was? Oh, because it's just intensity and we're doing our thing and fully focused. Yeah. And you don't want to give anything away also. You don't want to show your nerves. So uh, Lewis at points during that race was driving considerably slower uh, than during qualifying in effort to try and win the championship by forcing you 
behind him to engage in a battle with uh, you know the other drivers. And I was speaking to somebody uh, close to you um, who said if the roles were reversed, if you were in yeah. Lewis's position, yeah. he was in your position, you would not have done that because you, quote, wouldn't have been happy to win a race if he didn't do it 100% fair. Your thoughts on that? Well, let's not get into what I would have done because it's so hypothetical and it's such an extreme situation. So there's no, no point. Um, but what he did, yeah, we were, we were four cars all following each other. He was first, I was second, and I had to finish at least third. So if I do finish fourth and those other two cars pass me, my championship is gone. He's the champion. Mm -hmm. So he was trying to back me up. So the other guys get a chance to pass me. Right. Uh, and he did that very well with all his skill. Right. And it made it an incredibly intense uh, end of uh, end of race, end of season, end of my career. <laughs> um, so that was yeah, insane. Those, but, uh, those but last I, laps. And I mean, you're somebody. If you're playing table tennis with somebody, and yeah. uh, you know they win a point and they don't see it, you'll you know stop and tell them they you know won, won the point. So I mean, that's kind yeah. of why I'm asking. Roles reversed. Yeah. You do this same. I, you know, Let when, me, let's just say it this way. I can understand him. Mm -hmm. It's, it's uh, the world championship that we're talking about. Right. So, and we're warriors out there, out there so you're going to try something. Well, he, he was going to try something. Uh, you can't generalize, but I can understand that he wanted to try something. So, um, so with, with that in mind, with championship on the line, could you see yourself even handling it similarly? Well, it was not right what he did. Um, because in the end, we're, it's, we're, we're driving according to certain guidelines that are given to us by the team. Um, and I respect those guidelines because in, in Monaco, we had exactly a similar situation where uh, I was second, he was third, and I was driving too slow, just as he was in Abu Dhabi. And so we were risking a good team result. So uh, the team ordered me to let him pass. And I just did straight away, let him pass. And then he got the race win, which helped him in the championship fight as well, uh, ironically. And so, uh, you know, and it was the same situation in Abu Dhabi and he didn't abide by those rules, you know. So um, from a team's, team's perspective, perspective, for sure, that was not the right thing to do. But from an individual, I can understand why he wanted to try something. When you cross the finish line and you are the champion, what are you thinking? Unbelievable. Ah, emotions, uh, un unreal. I mean, everything. First of all, relief, then, then uh, just sharing it with my, my wife on the radio. She spoke to me while I was still in the car. Um, sharing it with her, then seeing the fans, everybody cheering, you know, and, and then coming back with my, sharing it with my team. Yeah, I, I know your dad was not at the race, but when you two uh, saw each other after the race, uh, what did you guys say? Oh, just very emotional and uh, he was very, very proud of what I managed to achieve, and because he knows how special it is, because he he did he achieved the same feat, so he was very, very proud and just wonderful to share that moment with him. You remember what he said? He was very, uh, of course, so uh, the emotions were so intense that he was still stuck in the race, telling me, uh, telling him, telling me that he couldn't watch because he was sure that Lewis was gonna try and shunt me off or something. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> so when did the thought first enter your mind? about the possibility of retiring? It was when the championship became real, a real possibility, okay. a few weeks before, when I had a very big lead in the points. Mm -hmm. And what did you, just one day, 
No, it yeah. just came to me. Just came to me. Wow, that would feel right. That would feel awesome to uh, close the book with the most awesome ending. Do you think there's anybody close to you that would have ever guessed you would have retired early? No. <laughs> well, what's early? I mean, I'm 31. You're, right, you're 31. <laughs> I mean, you have you just signed a contract. You have time left on the contract. You just won the championship. You're as good of a driver as you've ever been at the height of your career. That's early. Well, yeah, but then uh, take it from the other side. I've been racing for 21 years. Right. Uh, in Formula One for 11 years. I've done 210 races. Traveled the world uh, doing this, uh, this Formula One racing, this, this amazing experience for 11 years. And um, at the same time, you need to, it's also, you know, racing at the highest level requires a lot of sacrifice as well. Um, that's the only way to do it. That's the only way to be the best you can be and to, to be the best in the world is by massive uh, sacrifice as well and putting, throwing everything behind just winning. Um, and uh, and it's, it's awesome, there's a time for that, but now it's time for uh, some other stuff. What sorts of sacrifices do you think you most had to make? Um, oh, it's, it, it's a lot of stuff. I mean, first of all, the, your whole life revolves around winning. Every single day from morning to evening is just how can I win? Uh, how can I be the best in, in the sport? And, and so, for sure, family, that's the obvious one. That's a big sacrifice there because just don't see them much. And, and even when I am there, I'm not really there because my head is, is in the sport. Really? Yeah. Who was the first person you told you were considering retiring? And when did you tell them? My okay. wife, uh, two days before. Um, two, two days before. Before announcing. Okay, so not, not before your final race. No, because... I didn't want to uh, go into those thoughts okay. at all because I was so committed to uh, getting the championship. And anyways, it was dependent on winning the championship. When you made that final decision to retire, what was the order in which you then started letting people know? Uh, of highest priority was to tell my team mm -hmm. because uh, I knew that I was putting them into a difficult situation and that was tough for me to know that. Um, so I told him as soon as I could, immediately actually. So take me to that call you make to the team's executive director, Toto, um, and what was said minutes after I think you left being on a plane with him. Yeah, not, not an easy one, of course. Um, but you wanted to do it in person on the plane, right? Yeah, but I, I've, I had three hours sleep from all the partying yeah. <laughs> in the last two days, I was absolutely knackered. So to approach such an uh, in incredibly intense, life-changing uh, um, discussion, uh, that, was, that was, no, I wasn't willing to, uh, to, to do that. So I um, decided, okay, I'll do it on the phone. That's, uh, that's better, easier. So I went for that and um, uh, yeah, it was, it was a tough one. Uh, and especially because he, he didn't see it coming, so uh, and, and it put him in a difficult situation as well, which was not good. Um, but I need to think about myself and, and my people around me first, because okay. I told the reasons. Okay. And so his immediate instinctive reaction was understanding. He really could understand and relate, and and accepted it, and really accepted it, and, and was very supportive. And I didn't know, was he going to shout at me on the telephone? Right. <laughs> uh, were, were you kind of concerned? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, because it's an extreme decision and I'm really putting them into a difficult spot. And, mm -hmm. um, but he really showed great understanding and that was very nice to see. What was your reaction when Formula One legend and team executive Nicky Lauda 
comes out and kind of slams the decision and yeah. says you made the team look dumb in his words. For sure, he did criticize me uh, uh, in the media, which was strange because to me personally, again, he even said, I'm pulling my hat for you, or how do you say that? You know, I'm saluting you or, mm -hmm. uh, with respect for the decision. So personally, he was really uh, understanding, which was very nice. And then in the media, very different. So that was a bit surprising. Mm -hmm. I think it came out of the shock because he was okay. also just very shocked. And, um, and, and then the race team is, the his, is his baby. Finding, you know? The race team is right. his baby, and I put his baby into a very difficult situation. So naturally, you're gonna you're gonna have some um, hard emotions coming out. And uh, uh, but you know that's uh, that's fine. As for Lauda's take on the sudden retirement, said to him privately, understand your decision. Yeah. Yeah, which I have to. I have no choice anyway. But. The situation we are in, if I look from the other side, where I'm responsible for 1,200 people, it's our decision. To what extent did anybody at all think there was even a remote possibility that he would retire? There was no, no sign whatsoever. I think he retired really because the pressure of Lewis was too hard for him to cope with in the future. Because Lewis is a tough cookie to drive for. And then he won the race with all these tricks, Lewis holding back and the others coming. And it was tough for him the whole year because Lewis was the world champion to get beaten. Uh, it was a hard work. And he, he took it all up because he wants to prove to himself that he can be a world champion, like his father. And I think as soon as he achieved it, he has no more motivation to continue. And to what extent, since you made that decision, has any doubt or second guessing come into your head about the decision to retire? Well, it's not easy. Yeah, I'm, my life, I completely changed my life. For, the, for as long as I can think, uh, my life has been, you know, racing and trying to win on the racetrack. So it's a complete change. So it's not easy and it's not going to be uh, only easy, obviously. But I'm feeling great. I'm really, really uh, happy, satisfied. Um, and also, I'm just, uh, you know, so. Um, content with my career. It's perfect. You know, it's really, uh, I've achieved everything that I set out to achieve. Um, it's a great ending where uh, I always look back uh, and, I'm, and I'm going away from it with so much happiness, also thanks to that ending, you know, and um, so it's, it's, it's awesome. What do you want to do in retirement? Um, there's so many opportunities. And the first thing that comes to me is so much has been given to me in my life. Yeah, uh, the success, uh, my wonderful family, everything. So I'm so thankful. And so my feeling is now, I've never had time to really explore the giving back. Um, I always have given back, left, right, and center, but nothing that has really, really been, uh, like completely uh, touched my heart. And so now I'm going in a bit of an exploration uh, and I want to give back in a nice way and find something that really touches my heart, some projects, and so let's see. And what possibilities have you been thinking about? Well, um, mainly uh, uh, I would like to um, to give back to uh, to children, for example, mm -hmm. but kids where where really when I walk in, I make their day, you know, and it's an incredible power to have. It's so lucky that I can just with my presence make a kid happy who's right. maybe suffering. I mean, who, not many people can do that, you know, and it's just amazing. Uh, so I wanna I wanna do that, and just really simple, just uh, visiting and. Um, visiting some, some children who are, who are in difficult situations, and I did that actually recently as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to see that I can, I can f make them forget their, their misery for, for a while and 
Um, and especially now being a father of a little daughter, it makes it all the more intense because I can relate, you know, with the situation that the, that the family is in as well. Because oh, to, to imagine that my daughter would not be well, poof, that would be uh, unbelievably tough. So, uh, uh, so that's the sort of direction I'm exploring. It, and I, I've read everything from uh, you wanting to ski to put on some muscle to you know work with young drivers yeah. to do more in investing. Um, anything else that kind of piques your interest beyond There are what you so mentioned? many opportunities out there, you know, and, and I'm, uh, I want to make a difference right. and, I'm, uh, and find something. Uh, I need a challenge because I need to get that adrenaline that I had in racing. So I need a challenge to, do, uh, to achieve something and uh, I'll find something cool. It's a fascinating story and with one chapter closing, uh, another one opening and uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. That'll do it for this week. If you enjoyed listening, make sure to give us a five-star review. For additional content, like Nico driving me around Monaco in one of his exotic cars, only for us to get stopped by the police, go to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. You can also watch clips there from our Nikki Lauda and Lewis Hamilton interviews there too. Thanks again for listening.